iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. But before we begin, do not forget, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading The Times app to your smartphone. This week, it's fantastic because we don't have anybody down the line in remote locations out in the provinces, although we have not one but two northern presences here, and they are Rory Smith from Yorkshire, James Scowcroft from somewhere in the northwest. You're a United fan, right? One of many Cockney Reds, and the man true to himself who supports his local team where he grew up. Please tell me that's the case. You're from Essex, aren't you? Too right I am. There you go. It's Stuart Robson. First, we take a look at Stoke City and Manchester United. Whelan out to Cameron. He stands it up towards the far post. Knocked down by Walters. Arnautovic misses it. Charlie Adam doesn't. That's an absolute rocket straight up into the top right-hand corner. And Stoke are back ahead once again. I'm going to throw this straight out to you, James, because I, I, I'm not outing you. Yes, you have a predilection for um, the guys in red. Our colleague, James Ducker, our, the mild-mannered James Ducker, Pointed out, wrote in today's uh, uh, paper that um, David Moyes said that United played very well against Stoke. And I thought he witheringly said he was bordered between the defiant and the delusional in saying that. A, do you agree with James? And B, if Moyes doesn't think that, can you tell us why he would say that? Well, I think David Moyes needs to create a, a, a sense of positivity, doesn't he, around Old Trafford? It's so negative this season. You know, the arrival of one matter gave a lift for, for two or three days, but even that seems to have popped. I saw this morning Manchester United have lost eight out of 24 league games. That's one in three, you know, which is a staggering record considering where Manchester United are in, in, in the English game. I thought... I didn't think they'd win the league this year, but I think, uh, and I do think they'll finish outside the top four. I think to finish outside the top four is a, is a massive failure on, on David Moyes' part, and I don't think he can hide behind that. Um, I understand why he has to be positive. I thought they were a little bit unlucky against uh, Stoke at the weekend. You know, if you look at the first goal, it's a bit unlucky, the deflection. Charlie Adams uh, hits a wonderful strike, and United were lucky not to get an equaliser in, but it's clutching at straws every week. You know, it's too many, too many defeats. Is, is Moyes the, the, the worst United manager you've seen since you were, say, 14 or 15 years old? <laughs> I've only seen one. You know, <laughs> I, I, I just feel if you look at every manager 
their personality, the team, is the manager's personality. If you go right the way through, if you look at Mourinho, his personality dictates how the team are. And I just think if you look at Moyes' personality, it's a way side of playing as well. It's a tricky line to pick though, isn't it? Because managers, when, when results are going badly, will always try and be positive. They'll try and say, you know, we lost, but we didn't do that badly. We did this well, we did this well, we did this well. I remember Roy Hodgson at Liverpool after they lost to Derby 2-0 to Everton saying that it was the best he'd seen them play. And you could tell that he was trying to do that, trying to do that the same thing. He was trying to say, kind of, things aren't that bad, we're going in the right direction. And that's totally understandable. But, do you say, but when difficult... you say that, do they say it for the benefit of public opinion or for the benefit of their own players? Well, I, I, I suspect it's more the players and, and... I think a bit of both. Yeah, really. a little bit of both. But it's a difficult line to pitch because the fans can't be fooled. So what James writes quite rightly this morning is that the danger is if, if that's United playing well, then what do they look like when they play badly? And it's a, you, can kind of, you can take it both ways. You can say, well, if, if that's what you think is, is good, then that's not good enough. So, so far, the Manchester United support are very, very behind David Moyes. But if you speak to individual Manchester United fans, they're not. But collectively, they are. Now, there is going to be a tipping point. I don't think that tipping point will come this season. But I think next season, all of a sudden, it will be, you know, you have to, you have to deliver now. You have to produce something. I don't think Manchester United are as bad as their position and their results uh, have shown so far. But what they aren't particularly good at doing is closing the ball down. That's been the difference between last season and this season and, and previous seasons. They're not closing the ball down. There's not enough. And we talk about David Moyes being uh, you know, an, an organiser of teams and quite defensive. The defensive side of the game hasn't been good enough. To be a top side, you have to attack well, which they're not doing quite as well as they did last year. But you also need to be able to, be, uh, to, to stop the opposition playing. And it's too easy to play against Manchester United. We saw that with Sunderland in the in the in the in the Carling Cup. It was too easy for Sunderland to pass the ball around. It was too easy at times for Stoke to pass the one. We're talking about Stoke here. But is that not in a sense the most worrying thing that the one thing you expected from Moyes? Like, I think we all mm. probably st- st- maybe didn't think he'd provide sort of scintillating attacking football. We weren't expecting Pep Guardiola. But the thing you expect is organisation, mm. discipline, and hard work. And that's you, that's what United aren't doing. I'm 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 curious though in, in this theme of what he said about. Performance, and I mean, we can debate whether they did play very well or not very well, because you could also make the point that if they don't lose Evans and Jones and Charlie Adam, you know, he scores two goals, but one of them is deflected, the other one is is a wonder strike, and he's done them before, but it's still a wonder strike. If they go, they win this game, then everything's fine and dandy, right? We've seen this but, before. But there's too much left to chance, isn't there? There's too much. For, for me this year, Manchester United have been involved in too many good games. We're under Alex Ferguson. They weren't really good. They just killed the game out. 1-0, 2-0. You know, Sturt's mm. absolutely spot on. It, two sides of football. One's when you've got the ball and one's when you haven't got the ball. And Manchester United under Ferguson were brilliant with both. You know, when they didn't have the ball, they were as good as any team. And when they had the ball, they've always had flair. And they're just, I just think they're far too open, like you say. And like you say, you, you defend to attack. So if yeah. your defending gets better, your attacking will get better you, as well. When you play against the top teams, you know that you're not going to get too much of the ball because they close you down, they win it back quickly, you're going to struggle to create opportunities. At the moment, people can play against Manchester United. It's too open in midfield. People don't get tight enough to, to players. They're not sure whether they should drop off or squeeze up for offside. Whatever it is, there doesn't seem to be a cohesive unit defensively at the moment. And that allows the opposition to have the ball. And that means Manchester United have got to attack from deep areas at times. A lot of people talk about Man United's midfield. And it's, I don't think the back four is strong enough. I think if you look at Vidic and Ferdinand in the prime they were so comfortable on the ball they could come out with the ball and that would just push everybody forward it would push Carrick on and I I think they really struggled at the back just ball playing centre-halves What I thought was interesting though is he's chasing the game and he does the the kind of thing that a lot of managers do he just kind of puts on more attacking players and 
you know, at one point you had Welbeck, Van Persie, Mata, Rooney, and Young all on the pitch on, on the same mm -hmm. time. And there's a part of me that says, I understand why you're doing it, you're chasing the game. There's a part of me that also says, you're better than Stoke if you keep playing your way, and you have to believe you're better than Stoke, you don't need to mess with your formation. Just just stick with, you know, you can you can make a, a personnel change. But well, there's two ways that you look at it. If you if you just stick with it and you're losing the game and you stick with the personnel you've got and the shape of the team that you've got and you say, well, eventually it will come. If you don't win the game or don't get back into the game, people say, why didn't you change it? Yeah, Things weren't going. Why didn't you sort it out? Why didn't you change it? You didn't. The manager didn't do anything. So I can understand why he did, but I agree, absolutely agree with you. Sometimes when you start throwing on players, left, attacking players, left, right, you, you lose the shape of the team and suddenly there's no fluency, they're not quite sure where the next pass is and, and you don't get the, the, the result you're looking for. So I think you're absolutely right. When he sent on all these players, they lost their shape. So they were, they were playing off the cuff. And once you start playing off the cuff, you, going back to James saying, you're playing with a bit of luck then or trying yeah. to play with a bit of luck See, then. I don't have an issue so much if you're a manager who does that regularly, if you're a team that's used to doing that. I mean, obviously Mourinho's done that in, in the past. A bunch of players have, or managers have. But it just seems rather unmoise like it's the randomness, isn't it? It's the we need goals. Let's put, let's throw on more strikers. But saying, but, but that, that, that's not something Sometimes Moyes though, does. It, yeah, it creates more confusion. You just end up getting in each other's way. Mm. You know, is, is that a concern though? Because I said, like, I think it's a. a it's not. It's, it's, it's not, something it's not, he's not done several times this season. You know, he's changed it around. I think it was a Tottenham game when they lost two one at home, where he just changed it and it just went total attack. And I don't, they hardly looked like scoring. I think Valencia went to right back to be an attacking mm. right. He just tried to get as many forward players on as he can, which you can understand. But I just think sometimes all of a sudden people don't know what they're doing. They're, There's still got to be a shape to it. Even yeah. when you're making changes, yeah. this is the shape we're going to play yeah. with. This is the style we want to play. You're going to do this job for the team. You've been sent. I think at times he sent players on just for the sake of sending well, there players There has to be on. a plan, doesn't there? there has yeah. to, you have to have a clue. A, a way of breaking down the opposition, regardless of the players. And, and that's where you mentioned Mourinho. What Mourinho does, he decides, maybe after half an hour, what we're doing isn't working. The way the opposition is set up, that's, we're not going to break them down. So I'm going to make a change to do this. But it's a set plan. It's not, it's not again, mm. just random, we're going to put on more attacking players. But I it's think, got a uh, set plan. I think Gary Neville said to do it, he said, under Ferguson, we never, ever panicked. Even up until that 80, 85th minute, we always stuck, We always knew we'd get a chance. And I think if well, you that's because they knew they were going to play 115 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> but the, I always think that a manager who throws on loads of strikers, in general, not just with Moyes, I always find that always looks to me like a mark of desperation. It's a, I don't know how to win this game. Mm. Let's, let's effectively take it... Let, I, Almost that the manager is deciding that chance, the fifty percent sort of chance ratio, has a is is a better bet than the than the plan that well, he's got, well, and I, that's not a great sign. I mean, I was at another game, West Ham Swansea, and just going to keep it on the same point. Swansea were two 0 down, and they sent on loads of attacking players, but they lost all fluency. They were never going to score. They could still be playing today. They wouldn't have scored yeah. because nobody really knew where they were playing. Pozuelo was running here, there, and everywhere. It just didn't work for them. So it's not just David Moyes. It's lots yeah. of managers that do it. To be fair to Moyes, he did have to burn two substitutions early on, mm. uh, on Jones and Evans. And so at that point, maybe you know his options were, were somewhat limited. You're talking about maybe should he have sent off Januzaj, perhaps. Um, he had no other... I think Darren Fletcher was the only sort of non-attacking player left on the bench. I want to about Stoke for a minute because it seems to me that so few people had any belief in, in Mark Hughes when the season began. You know, they spent very little money relative to before when, when Pulis was there and had one of the highest net spends in the Premier League. Actually, a funny digression here, um, since we're on the subject of United, and it is uh, marginally related to Stoke. I saw some tweets where they were complaining 
that their investment in the last five years has been equal to Stokes in terms of net spend, and it's a disgrace, blah, blah, blah. The end point now is that Stokes' investment was the third highest in the Premier League after Chelsea and, and Manchester City. Do you, as a United fan, do you, do you, do you think that like, the club have some kind of obligation to go and spend a lot of money simply because you have more money than everybody else? Or would you rather see your team win with the same resources as everybody else? Well, what you're seeing is that the lack of investment by the Glazers, you're now seeing the, the product of it. Look at where it, But wait, wait, but lack of investment, the fans of every club in England, except for Chelsea and, uh, and City, could say, well, we've had less investors than you've had with the Glazers. But it's not as much as the Glazers could have invested if they'd not taken 400 million quid out of the club to pay off their own loans. So, yeah, no, I, I take your point completely. That you're not, I saw a, United, a tweet from a United fan saying that, that they can't compete with Chelsea and City because they don't have, don't have as much money as them, which is, I suppose, theoretically true. Well, but their owners don't have as much money as the owners. In of, a real sense, they have just right. as much money as Chelsea and City because they, they, they But then, to be fair, so the, 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 the minority the, owner of QPR could go and buy Abramovich and Mansour and put yeah, them in exactly. a cage if he wanted to. And, and it's a, in a way, it's surprising that he hasn't. But, but the, like the Glazers that. have taken 400 million yeah. out of Well, they've taken more, a lot more than that out of the club. If that's... It's just money that's gone. Yeah. And if that money is reinvested in the team, we wouldn't be talking about Manchester United losing to Stoke here now. It would be, yeah. you know, City United in the title race. Well, I was going to drive to, and, and I might read about this at some point, just because obviously in Spain there's a, there's a three-horse race. People said, oh, it's a two-horse league, it's a two-horse league. One-horse race in Spain now. <laughs> exactly. If Mansour and Abramovich had never come to the Premier League, if it had been difficult for foreign investors to come in and buy, because right, they point out, well, except for Valencia... Valencia's two titles and, and, and Depot, right? In the last 20 years, only Barcelona and Barcelona and Real Madrid, I think, have shared 17 of 20 titles, right? What would it have been like in the Premier League if those two people hadn't come in? It would have been Manchester United winning the league every year except for the times when Arsenal clicked, basically. Yeah, and, then, and basically the times Arsenal won would have been United throwing it away. D- to some yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if on top of that United had decided to go and uh, negotiate their TV rights contract individually... If, then it would have been United winning every single it, game. It would have been United C team. If there were no foreign investors in the Premier League, then England would be Germany. With and United would be Bayern Munich. Would you prefer that? You're, you're making you a point about the spending. You know, Manchester United never gets the credit it deserves for the, the young talent they've produced. Manchester United have had a youth team player in their squad since 1930, whatever I think, for the last 70 years. You know, you talk about the the money and this that, and the other. Manchester United, their, their youth system, the policy that they've, especially under Sir Alex, never really get. You know, if you look at England, but they made the a whole movie of, about the class of '92 or whatever yeah, exactly. it was. You know, so I'm, you I'm never, a Man City going to have the class of 2014? <laughs> you don't no, think so? To be fair, to be fair to City, their their youth teams are apparently staggeringly good. They've not lost. Oh, they're yeah, fantastic. But, 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 but most of them now are foreign. Yeah, are foreign, and you, right. they buy players in at 14 and 15 right. off other clubs. Where's so, Darren so Fletcher's from? Buying, yeah. Where's Darren Fletcher's from Manchester? Or David you, Beckham's from Manchester. Yanazai. Right? Yanazai. Yanazai. There's another one. Yeah. Captain, Belgian-born. These lads going to get a chance at Man City. The problem that Mark Hughes has got is that for all the talk of revolution, he still has a Tony Pulis team. And when things are difficult for Stoke, they automatically revert to the things they've been taught. And for if the last he hadn't have beaten Manchester United on Saturday, it, they would have been in the relegation or near yeah. the relegation area. They haven't done particularly well under Mark Hughes. He's tried to change their style of football to a certain degree. Uh, he, he tried to bring in Odin Wingy, didn't he, to, to add more pace to the side? They've, they've got Odin Wingy. They have. That's what, sorry. Yeah. 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 So they've, they've brought him into more pace, but. They're still playing one-dimensional at times, and when they do pass the ball, they don't do it with any penetration. They pass for the sake of passing. 
And I saw them against Chelsea in the FA Cup, and I've seen them on several other occasions, and I think they still look a poor side. And well, I, they're not, I don't know what Mark Hughes is trying to get from the team. I, I, if he wants to play, play and, and be penetrative with your, with your passing. If he wants to go long ball, go long ball and be penetrative with that. But at the moment, he's caught in between the two. Well, what, what is a fair expectation, though, in terms of how long it takes to go and change a team to make your mark on the team? I mean, in some ways, if it might Six be a stretch weeks. to sort of compare... What? Six weeks. Oh, well, then Moyes is you have to play then, to your right? strengths. That, that's... Do you? Yes. I or do you bring in, that's what I mean, do you bring in, do you play to your strengths or do you bring in the manager because you want him to play a certain philosophy? It, it, I mean, my understanding, I think we all agree with this, is Mark Hughes was brought in with the quote-unquote promise to, to play a certain brand of football, right? Well, I'm, I'm, not sure how, I'm not sure why they brought Mark Hughes in to play a certain brand of football because at Blackburn, when he took over there... Not for the was, Blackburn, he, that was a million years ago. Yeah, and at Manchester City, them. they didn't play particularly good Fulham, football. Fulham, they played good football. Not really. Not really, no. Right. No, they played OK. They played OK football. They didn't play uh, attra- attractive, entertaining football. Well, Mark Stuart, Hughes is still... He was at the same game as me on Saturday, West Ham-Swansea. Mm. Now, Swansea got a fantastic reputation, rightly mm. so, and, and I'm not going to knock anything down. Mm. They try to, I think the the second goal, the corner kick, they try and play out from the back. Mm. Would you say watching Swansea at the weekend was entertaining? No, it wasn't. They didn't play particularly well. Uh, there was no, they didn't play at a high enough tempo when they had the ball. Then they had chance to counter-attack. They didn't do it with enough pace. I thought Swansea were really disappointing. And they, they, well, they couldn't match the physicality of Andy Carroll and Nolan making forward runs. But Swansea are playing, are playing particularly badly at the moment, whereas Stoke... Kind of play well and they play badly, and you can't really tell the difference well, because that's what's a fair expectation of of, of Mark Hughes? I mean, if, if if you were coach, Rory, and you come in and you say like we don't need much money here, you can have Eric Peters, and you know, and just about it. And He's I the expect man you, you want when you want to change your style. What's get, that? Getting a get a, a sort of journeyman Dutch left back, he'll, he'll change well, his style. He's, he's more and more caps for Holland than you do, but um. Only well, through an accident of birth. What, what is a fair expectation? What's a fair uh, for goal? For this season. I for think, this season, I think, yeah. D- stay up and stay tra- up transition the and style? Yeah, I think that's, that was the plan. Right. But I would imagine it would stay up with rather more comfort than they're going to. When you, when you look at a club, you're looking for, and the way the team plays, you're looking for some identity. What does that club represent? What is that manager trying to do? I'm not sure what Mark Hughes is trying to do at Stoke. Newcastle blowing themselves out here. And Arthur has lost it. And now Barini... That's Cole back to his left-hand side. Here is Cole back! 3-0 to Sunderland! What a day for Gus Poyet and his team! Alright, I feel uncomfortable talking about the, um, uh, the Tyneside Derby without the legendary George Colkin in the studio. Gus Poyet, I think he'd be 8th or ninth if the Premier League started when he was appointed. And it's funny because everybody talked about how rubbish their summer transfer policy was and everything. And, you know, in the end, they broke even. They cut the wage bill by 30%. Does this mean that if, if you buy the argument that it was rubbish, does it mean that Poyet's some kind of genius? Does it mean that he's had a very easy run? What does it mean, Stuart? No, I don't think he hasn't had an easy run. What he's given is the players more confidence. He's now got a style of play. Uh, it didn't work for him early on because they got caught out on the ball, but they're, they're trying to pass it through midfield. He's making the best of some of the players he's got. Colback looks an exceptional player well, now. Bridcut. I mean, he, Bridcut's come in, and he's been going to play in front, in, instead he's a, of He's a player Patamont. Chelsea produced who's playing in the Premier League. So Not for Chelsea. See, Catamol, <laughs> Catamol, I, never, I never understood Catamol because I don't think he's a particularly good passer. 
and he's an aggressive player, but he can't run Catamol. So when people run off the back of him, that was always a problem for, for Sunderland and Wigan when he was playing for them. Now Bridcut is a little bit quicker and he'd do the same job and he's a better passer than Catamol. Well, and Colback is an excellent player. He seems like a totally different player due to Catamol because... He, so, he, so he wants his holding midfield player to be a, a totally different player. Boy, he wants him to be, to a, be a passer, passer rather than a ball man. A quarterback, really, yeah. doesn't he? Sitting in front of the back boy. He's a very good signing, I think. For he's going to keep switching yeah. the play and playing it into the front players. He's going to do a different so job. Why didn't they sell Cadamore, though, when they had the opportunity? Not That's quite a good sure. question. No one seems quite certain why it fell through. It, but it was Sunderland who pulled the plug. Right. Hey, are you so down on Cadamore? I mean, what well, you just said about it, he can't run. I mean... It, that's why he commits so many fouls. He's aggressive, but he commits so many fouls because okay, so he's, he's, he's not desperate. A, when people start a, to run beyond him, he yeah, I think he's a big character quickly. at Sunderland, isn't he? He's a, he's a lad from the northeast, and I think maybe Poyet's looked at it and thinking, well, if I do get rid of him, I'm taking a big character out of the dressing room here. You know, Maybe in the summer it might happen. I, I, I Canio said he was a bad character in the dressing well, room. Probably because he was a good character yeah. and he was getting everybody on side. Yeah, that, probably because I don't think people's opinions of Catamore within the club has changed much since the previous manager. Oh, what, what, what's the deal with Newcastle? They just, I, I don't understand this. They, they seem to be on a good run. They seem to have a lot of success buying players in France. They sell Kabai. They knew they were going to sell Kabai. They knew they were going to get a big chunk of change in. Why were they unable to... Um... I can answer that question. Thank you. Even That's though George isn't here. They think they can replace Kabai. They, they think they can repeat the trick. With Marveau. No, no, not with Mother. Yeah. They think they can go back to France and just because they've done it once, they got to buy from Lille for five point five million. So who do they think they, they, think they, can, they can go and get another one? Who do they think they well, can get? They looked at Grenier, but he's not the same sort of player, really. He's more kind of fancy. Dan is Grenier. I'd, who else is there? A holding midfielder in France or a ball playing holding midfielder in France? So the, the, I don't, I don't know who the the actual target is. But by the time Kabai left, he changed his position. He was playing more behind the front. Yeah, right, the forward, wasn't he? Whereas yeah. when he first went, he was playing that much deeper. He kind of went back to because. Early in his career, of course, mm. he played behind the striker mm. as well. So, I mean, he's just a very versatile mm. player. Why, why didn't one of the big clubs in, in this country come in for Kabai? Surprised United didn't. Yeah, uh, they, They've certainly been watching him. Arsenal obviously wanted him in the summer. So I don't to be fair, Arsenal, but again, the Arsenal offered £8 million, I think, and they mm. said the, it was a derisory bid, which it probably was. But by the same token, he went for, what, £19 million? It's a lot of money for a guy who's that age. You know, we're not talking about a 22-year-old. He's, what, 26, 27? 26, yeah. He's in his prime. He's in his prime, yeah. I think he's a great signing for PSG. He's a brilliant signing. I, th- I think he'd be a great signing for Manchester United. I think he's uh, really? that kind but of midfield player. At the same time, although there, there is always a, ten- a tendency to say, you know, it, the, the, to place the question mark if a, if a big Premier League club doesn't come in for him. I, I think most we'll, we'll start seeing more and more that a lot of players, particularly francophone players, would rather play for PSG than Premier League clubs because a it's in Paris, where you know, the, the language element, and also they will be in the Champions League every single year. So that, that they are an attractive problem. You've highlighted one problem with Newcastle. I always think their biggest problem, if you go into a game with Williamson and Taylor as your two centre-halves, in any Premier League game, I think you've got problems. You know, I've watched Taylor many, many times over the... Stephen Taylor. I don't think he can read situations. He's aggressive, yes, but commits too many fouls. He doesn't read situations. He's big. He's big. He, he doesn't win enough balls in the air. He's late on on when balls when players make runs across him. Right, I can I can analyse goal after goal after goal and say Stephen Taylor isn't good enough. And I would say the same with Williamson. To be fair, though, presumably Colacini's the first choice centre half. And, and yeah, I, but he hasn't been. Colacini's been sub on many occasions this year. But Even he when he's been be. fit, he's been injured. And when he he should be, he's he's the best one of their centre halves. But he hasn't played enough. 
to speak for George, who, who can't be with us, yeah. George says that Williamson's been really good this season. I've not seen enough of Newcastle to, to comment, but George, George is of the view that Williamson's done he'll really well. He'll win balls in the air. He'll attack the ball. But when there's clever movement and things happening around him, he can't see it. You talked about owners here, so let's bring it back to United. Would you rather have uh, Ashley or the Glazers? I'd rather have Kermit the Frog than the Glazers. <laughs> so you would rather have Ashley, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know enough about Mike Ashley, so I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I, I just think, uh, part of, unless you're a Chelsea fan or a Man City fan, for obvious reasons, you know, this is something that that's you know. Look at Leeds United last week. You know, this needs to be sorted out. Really, who can come in and buy clubs and own clubs and. You know, football clubs are big institutions. People shouldn't just be able to walk in and do, do, you, do this, that, and the do other. Do you believe a, a football club then is a public trust as much as it is a business? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do as well. Although, That's a surprise. as you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I think the problem is that with Ashley, there's no reason that Mike Ashley shouldn't own a football club. He's... he's not that your nationality should be a factor, but he's English, so we, you know, we don't object to him because he's one of these, he's an outsider, one of these terrible foreigners. He's Cockney, though. He's right? a Cockney. I mean, which remember thinking, I bet that people came onto the pitch and... and, and, and Do you think the 51 rule would work in England? And the English think, game would be better for it? I think uh, Manchester United would be much better for it. I think Obviously, Chelsea and Man City wouldn't be better for it. No, would Arsenal that, be better for it? No, they wouldn't. They, no. They, they'd be, they, I mean, they might be slightly better off than they are now, but United would be so much better off than everybody else. The problem with the 50 plus 1 rule is that the teams that, that want it to be introduced are the teams with bad owners. The teams with good owners will always just say no. The TV money is there because it's of a, a high-end product. The money that's been invested. Because, because, because of the, the, the players that are there, right? Yeah, it's, a lot of it is the branding and the, 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 so on. The packaging, the Premier League has done a fantastic job of that. But it's one thing to package Sergio Aguero. It's another thing to, 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 to package Sean Goder, right? 
I mean, they're, they're two different things. So I think there would be a fear on the part of many people to go to the 50 plus one because you would end up, I mean, the, the Bundesliga, we all love the Bundesliga, right? Bundesliga make about 150 million from overseas right. Do you know how much the Premier League makes? A lot more than that. Yeah. They, they make six but who, Whose eyes are you looking through this? You know, if, you, if, you're, if you go and ask the, the match day fan now that goes home and away supporting his club in the Premier League, it's almost impossible to do. It is so expensive, it's almost impossible it is, to support your team. But at the same time, the, those fans, like every other fan, is addicted to this circus of transfer deadline day and glamorous foreign stars and all of that stuff that all that stuff that we associate with the premier league we, we are we all buzz off it and that if you take if you take away the foreign owners if you bring in 50 plus 1 you don't have the debate about whether manchester united should have invested 400 million pounds in their squad does that wouldn't be enough but are we going to miss a generation of fans here because the 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 17, 18 year old who years ago used to get on a local bus, go and support his team, can he now go to watch yeah. Arsenal home? I think the, the no, reality is you're going to get a different fan, right? Yeah, yeah. So, people who aren't United fans may not know this about James, but he's that rare ex pro who actually paid to go watch football matches, right? And you occasionally still do, right? Quite often. Exactly. Which, which I think, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to be like that, but. I, I I think it means you, your view is is closer to that than I think a lot of people can, can relate to when it comes to these issues. You know, back then, right, when I mean, think about it, what it was like when you were 15 years old, right? You had no social media, you had no internet, I assume, in your home, right? You probably had a, a crappy radio station in in Sussex who probably played Suffolk. 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 It's the end of the world, Suffolk, by the way. All right, center of the universe. Right. <laughs> I don't even know what, what what's your local team in Suffolk. Gab, yeah, come, come on, on. Ipswich. Don't you know where can't, Suffolk can't believe is? you've all asked right. me that question. All right, okay, so yeah, all right, so you're right. So, so Ipswich, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's outside the M25, I apologize, right? So you probably got Ipswich games on the radio, right? You probably had to strain to, 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 to listen to, to get any kind of Manchester United news. You probably watched CFAX waiting for the number to turn, right, to see if, if Clayton Blackmore had scored, right? This was your world. And then when you were lucky, you used to go be able to go to to Old Trafford because you I think you you had an uncle or or somebody right who took you, and even if you lived in Manchester, it would be the same thing because you would only get to see them once every other week in person plus crappy highlights on television, and yet you probably lived your fandom you probably thought about the club as much as as much as people do today, except today there are so many more fans who maybe might go to a game once a year, maybe once a lifetime, and they watch it on television and they interact in these other ways. And in the eyes of football clubs, those people are just as much fans as the guys with season yeah, tickets or the yeah, guys who take the bus. Yeah. And they can make, more importantly, well, they I'll can make money number. off those guys the same way they can make money off the guys who take the bus to Old right. Trafford. So I take my son to uh, Chelsea Manchester United, was it two weeks ago now? Two match tickets, by the time we get the train there and back, probably spent £250. Yeah, there's no, but there's no, there's no question that we are the football. Football's demographic is changing, and with the money that's in the game now, yeah. So it becomes a you know the Premier no, League no, are taking but, two pound or three pounds off an away ticket this year <clears throat> because they want to see stadiums but, full. Well, I, I, go, I go even full, uh, further than that. You know those, you know those little patches that, that that say Premier League that you can get when you buy a shirt. You know how much those things cost? They're like ten quid. But that's the thing. That's what we're headed towards, right? We're headed towards, I think, in their model, in the model of these people, they want something where instead of going every week, right, in, in, instead of one James Scowcroft family unit going every week 
to watch Manchester United home and away, right? I'm going to have 60 James Scowcroft family units who are each going to go to one game, right? And so in the aggregate, there's going to be many more and fans you know out there and they're going to make more money. Lack of atmosphere in stadiums now. I think you may, you, you, you may well be right. But I don't think the clubs care about that because no, it, it's not like you pay more if it's noisy. The, but the, 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 you are right that we are risking losing a generation of fans. Of course we are, but we're also... I think you've already lost them. It, it's, yeah. you, know, you, won't, you won't know the impact until 20 years. But the time. fans are still there. But then bear in mind, we, we live in a world where we're also losing an entire generation of young people in, in terms of employment, in terms of housing. So you know, th- th- yeah. this is the point that we, we've started, and this sounds really st- stupid to talk about on a football podcast, but we've basically said, with the first generation ever to say, do you know what, as long as we're all right, sod the future. And it's the same in football. Yeah, the big problem is, <clears throat> you're talking about marketing the Premier League, this, that and the other, you can't do it if it's a half-empty stadium. I think that's true, actually. I think that's really important to the... Okay, well, so I'll, I'll go with you on this one. You, you, I, I do a lot of Italian football. I still think tactically the Italian football is the best in Europe, but it doesn't. Look nah, so nah, good. nah, 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 nah. It doesn't look so good on TV yeah. because there's empty stadiums. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not saying you have to do this, you have to do that, but I think you have to get the balance right. Is there not guys? Do we want to debate the transfer window, or do we just want to continue talking about this? Because <laughs> I had written the transfer. Do, do, yeah, because I think well, this is more interesting. I was right? going to say that the problem with, with 50 plus one, apart from the fact that the only clubs who who want it are the ones who aren't doing that well. So I would have thought that while things were flying for Manchester United, 50 plus one was something that some fans, obviously Dreen and Dold and Duncan Drasdow, they thought about 50 plus one. The vast majority couldn't ever fly in anything about 50 plus one because they're winning. The other problem is that it, it, you cannot introduce it. Just how on earth are a group of fans going to get the money together to buy out the, vul- the vulture capitalists and the oligarchs and the billionaires who already own the clubs? It's just well, not feasible. The, the, the government has to step in, don't they? And they have to... But then they get ch- chucked out of FIFA, don't they, if, they, if the government starts interfering in football? Right, but you don't even need. Well, first of all, the the league could reform could, could reform itself. I mean, there yeah. are ways that there are ways to do it politically if there's an appetite to do so. But the point you made, I mean, I'm sorry, but you must have seen this tweet a million times. If every United fan chucked in five quid, they could buy the blaze. They could buy the Glazers out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, remember, they they attempted to do that at Liverpool. You had you had the Red Knights and 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 all this and all this stuff, right? I mean, it didn't come to pass. Also, because the Glazers are kind of tough as nails, and they believe in what in what they do, but the potential was there, right? I mean, there are other ways if we want better governance, and I refer people to Duncan Drasno. If you don't know who he is, and you happen to be a Manchester United fan, you may be interested in finding more about it. He's involved with the Manchester United Supporters Trust. There are supporters trusts at I think every um, Premier League and Football League club. At some of them, they actually own shares and have a say. Obviously, they're into they're in this because they believe that. You know, they believe in good governance. They believe in oversight of the club. At other clubs, like Swansea, who you guys, you guys were all making fun of their lack of ideas and how bad they were. But you know, they they, they sit on, on the, the board. other hand. There's no more pleasant place to go than Swansea. The oh, well, well, Swansea yeah. hospitality yeah. you get yeah, there, you go fantastic. there. The way they treat you, it's still a very very good football club, Swansea, and they know how to 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 yeah. to, to host the football game at the moment. And that model is is perfectly possible, but only as it stands, unless there is some sort of change in, in, in the way that the lead governs itself, is only possible in cases like Swansea, where people can get hold of the cl- a portion of the club as fans and guide its direction from the bottom up. It's very difficult to do it with Manchester United. But the, the debate's meant to be, out, to be about the transfer window, and that ties in, because the transfer window is the great symbol of what football has become, where fans get more... Seem to, oh, there is a section of fans who seem to be more bothered about it, 
who their club are signing than, than what their club are doing on the pitch. There's this constant demand for owners to spend money, which is incredibly unhealthy, that the solution for everyone in football is spend more money, spend more money. You get cases like United where they need to spend money, but you get Arsenal's, Arsenal fans on the transfer deadline day in August, they're delighted that Wenger signed Mesut Ozil. He then doesn't go and sign Julian Draxler, a player they don't need, not long-term at, at the moment, wonderful footballer though he is, and, they, and signs Kim Chalstrom, and, it, and Arsenal fans kick off because they've not spent enough money. That There is an element where the fans have to take a degree of responsibility. If you want better governance, if you want a more sustainable model, you have to stop but, uh, well, with this endless consumption. With Arsenal, I think they're looking, the Arsenal fans are looking at it at the moment, and, and, and I fully agree with you. This is their best ever chance to win the title. Now, they've got the transfer window that they could have strengthened the squad. Yep. And they've got a chance, if, if Giroud got injured, if one or two of the other players got injured, this is your best ever chance to win trophies. They haven't won trophies for eight, nine years. Suddenly, they buy a, or get a player on loan that's injured. Yes, that is a So, So, yes. Arsenal's a different case to many others. But then... The two players, the two Germans that Arsenal were linked with this window were Draxler, 20, 30, 37 million quid, wonderful talent, left winner, not a striker. Miros- don't, don't need him. Did, at don't need no. him. Don't need him. He's not what they need. Miroslav Klose, 104, mm. striker, vastly experienced, would have been potentially a loan or, or a nominal fee. Klose is the player they needed much more. Klose mm. would have been the perfect signing for Arsenal. Lazio maybe wouldn't have wanted to sell him. That would not have satisfied, satisfied Arsenal. a lot of Arsenal fans. Just what Arsenal fans, like all fans, want to see is these ridiculous sums of money permanently being pumped into their team. That's is not it, what is that because everyone's been brainwashed. Brainwashed, yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And I, I, I would say when you when you when you look at when uh, uh, fans will say we we want Draxler, I wonder how many fans have actually seen Draxler exactly play. Right. You know, they, they might have seen him once on the telly, oh, well, or seen the highlights of him. They've no, no any idea what he's like. Do you not? Do you not think transfer deadline day now is almost replaced the old FA Cup final day? Yeah. How it was in mm, there. It's it almost has. so yeah. exciting yeah. that people. Oh, we've got 20 minutes left. Who's going to do this? Well, you see Jim White getting a haircut. Oh. Like, you see, used to see players getting a haircut on cup final What day. I don't get about that is it's not like people are actually doing business at like the training grounds or at the football clubs. Why do they make poor James Cooper stand outside Old Trafford in that miserable, miserable conditions for hours when all he's doing, because he doesn't, I mean, he's not there reporting, right? He's just basically there on the phone with, I, I'm assuming, United's press officers yeah. who are so forthcoming anyway, right? So I'll ask you again, do you watch it? What? On, on transfer deadline, do you watch it all day long? Okay, I have Sky Sports News because unfortunately, because it's my only option and I like the ticker at the bottom I have it all the time some of these transfers that they make they haven't really studied what they're they going to no. do where where is the the scouting system that used to be in place where is the the uh, list of players uh, that they I'll have say, to, to go and get I'll say players? this about Draxler right uh, I was talking about Draxler in no, 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 I was no, about no. the, the whole scouting system but you have to assume that you have to assume to some degree that that's there and that's why I mean I was in this conversation with somebody because there's no culture of directors of football to actually go and conclude deals, and here you could bring Konoplyanka mm-hmm. into it. I mean, Ian Eyre may have a lot of failings, but I don't know that this was entirely his fault, to be honest. Because you don't have that. You don't have a generation of it, right? So who becomes a director of football in, in this country, right? Either a foreigner, which of course is bad, mm-hmm. um, or an ex-player um, uh, who... So, or, or an ex-player so who, who, who was, was an ex-player. Football is it depends whether it, it used to be called a chief scout. or an agent. No, 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 no. I think it's different. I think in in terms of best practice, a director of football 
A, should appoint the manager. He shouldn't be brought yep. in after the manager's exactly, there. Yep. Should appoint a manager who fits the directors of, of football's yep. view of the club, right? Yep. So the, the two have to, have, to, have to come together. He should oversee the chief scouts. He should know. He should be very good at negotiating, both negotiating player contracts and knowing exactly who the agents are so you don't get taken for a ride and, and the way these people operate. Now, I mean, people may have different things, right? In mm. Liverpool, they report that the Konoplyanka deal failed because they um, you know, had a release clause and the guy simply refused to honor the release clause, right? Now, let's assume that's true, even though people in Ukraine say the opposite. I don't know. I haven't seen Konoplyanka's contract. Even if he has a release clause in his contract, if you go there and he's not willing to offer to honor the release clause, first of all, it's not, it's not like in Spain where legally you show up with a wad of money in your, your release clause and you become a free agent, right? It would have meant that Konoplyanka would have had to sue Dnipro under the Ukrainian legal system, which is you, if you watch the news, you might know it's, it's a bit, you know, they've got bigger fish to fry <laughs> there right now. He probably would have been banned for a period of time because he would have had to go, go, go outside the system. He couldn't play for, for a year or so, right? That's the only way that if the club don't want to sell, he could have enforced his release clause. So somebody a bit savvier would have probably gone out there knowing I have this deal in the bag and he would have been prepared for the club to basically say, oh, wait, sorry, did I say 15 million on the phone? Oh, how funny. I meant 17 million. You've come all this way. You've brought your friend, the, 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 the Dr. Zaff, the club doctor here. Surely you're not going to want to go home uh, empty-handed. Fork over another 2 million. What is it to you? And at that point, Ian Eyre and the people behind him have to be strong and say, we like Konoptank at this price. We don't like him at that price. You know, and make a decision, and then we can debate whether it's the right decision or not. But I, I think in this case, the system worked to some degree, unless they were really they really thought that he had a release clause. The problem with Tonopliankia and Liverpool is not the failure is not signing, not the failure is not failing to sign Tonopliankia. The failure is getting into a position where not signing Tonopliankia looks like looks like failure. Everyone knows it's difficult to negotiate with 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 billionaires and oligarchs. Everyone knows that. Ukrainian Russian clubs, the, the same rules don't apply. The owners don't have to sub, sort of subscribe to this logic where, oh, his contract's running out in 18 months, I'd better sell to protect my value. If you're the second richest man in Ukraine, you don't care about that. That's not a problem. Ian Air went out there with three or four days in the transfer window to go. That is the mistake. The Liverpool A were in the position where they hadn't signed anybody with three or four days of the transfer window to go. There's a failure in going out there not knowing if you can get the deal done because of the because you've applied the wrong logic to the, the way that the opposite side is going to ne- negotiate. And there's also the failure that they would prepare to pay more money for Tonopliante, their backup signing, than they were for Mohamed Go- Salah, their first choice, which makes no sense. Going back to your, the, your timing, if you've got a scouting system and a director of football that's got a list of targets, why, when the transfer window opens... That they then try yeah. and look to buy the players and get the players in there. Then they've got that's, a month. Well, that's best practice, right? Yeah, best, best practice, practice is never you, go, to happen. you do this business. But it's a December. circle, isn't it? A yeah. moves for B to be freed up for C yeah. and D. I just, do you not think that happens to a lot of clubs, though, that they, they miss targets? It's just foolish for it to be out in a public domain and people know. You know, Manchester United were a classic example last summer with the F- F- the Atletico Bilbao here, yeah. was it? And, yeah, and, right, and right, I'm right, sure yeah. clubs miss out on players all the time, but just keep it quiet. Just yeah, don't I, say, we're going to sign him because you're setting yourself well, I, up for it. That's right, but then the I have a slightly different different view on that as a journalist, which is that it's not that the clubs kind of go out in public and say that they want to sign a player. It's that journalists are doing their jobs and finding out the yeah, name. Yeah, so it's not necessarily the yeah. club's fault that the name becomes public. 
So, having swallowed up the uh, transfer debate, let's do some quick hits. So, Romelu Lukaku's injured, Lucina Troyer is not ready, Nikita Jelovic has been sold, but it's no problem at all as Kevin Morales fires Everton past Aston Villa. James, um, are you surprised he transitioned so easily to the centre forward role? A little bit, yeah. I think so. I think he's a very good player, Morales. I think he's very direct. I can see how he can do it because he's, he's one of these players that wants to shoot, wants to. Yeah, basically wants to score a goal really so I think if you've got that mentality in you it shouldn't be too much of a problem imagine being that good and only being like the 30th best Belgian in the universe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain makes his first start since opening day and steals the show with uh, the two goals that sink Pulis's palace Stuart should Wenger find a way to shoehorn him into the lineup every week uh, well uh, when he's on form yes because He's an outstanding player, and he can play in several different positions. He played in central midfield yesterday. He can play right wing. He can play left wing. He can even play as the second centre forward. When he's on form and playing with confidence and fully fit, he should be in the team every week, and I think he's going to play from now to the end of the season quite a lot. Every week. Wow, high praise for a kid that's still only just 20 years old. Liverpool are held at West Brom as Colo Turi has an afternoon to forget. Rory, you were there, I believe. Was this a game Liverpool should have won or did they get their just desserts? It was a game Liverpool should have won before it started. It was a game that deserved to end in a draw after it started. Liverpool were really poor. That's as bad as I've, as I've seen Liverpool this season, I think. The pitch at West Brom doesn't help. Both Martinez and Rodgers now have said that it's not conducive to passing football, but they just looked devoid of rhythm. They looked a little bit kind of lacking in appetite. They didn't didn't get going at all. The strike force, Sturridge and Suarez, were. They, it was just one of those afternoons where their touch wasn't true, the balls didn't fall for them. It was a it was a bad afternoon for everyone, as well as Colo Torre, obviously. Although it was his mistake that will will that attracted the headlines, uh, they need to pick themselves up for that because they've got a much tougher game against Arsenal next week. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Cardiff get a huge three points against Norwich and substitutes Wilfred Zaha and Kenwin Jones steal the show. James, um, who will have a bigger impact on whether Vincent Tan gets a stay in the Premier League? Uh, Wilfred Zaha, um, a big, big talent. I saw a lot of him in his Crystal Palace days. Baffled why David Moyes didn't really give him a go at Manchester United, considering their current problems this season. But I think he's a real talented player. And I think Skullshaw is that kind of manager that will get the best out of him. And I think... Um, I think Kenwin Jones, the Aldi Adebayor, is a brilliant signing for Cardiff. <laughs> OK, Rory thinks... Kenwin Jones is a brilliant signing for Cardiff. No, he's just what they need. I yeah, no, Kenwin Jones just is a good signing, but I'm really interested to see how well Wilfred Zaha does, because I think he's a very good player. Paulinho comes back to help Spurs to a 1-1 draw at Hall. Stuart, what do you make of Tim Sherwood's 4-4-2? Um, is it viable in this day and age when you don't have Yaya Tour and Fernandinho in the middle of the park? If you play with two up front, you've got to make sure you're not outnumbered in midfield. So probably, I see Juventus a lot. I see a lot of Italian teams that play with three at the back. They can still play with three in midfield. They play with two wing backs and they play with two up front. I think two up front still works well. You know, you can still link up with each other, but you must make sure either you play a diamond in midfield or you overload the midfield because you only play three at the back. At the moment, a 4-4-2 is a struggle. Andy Carroll sets up two goals as West Ham sail past Swansea, but then Rory, one of your cheating ponytailed foreigner friends, uh, gets him sent off. Should he appeal? And should we kind of be chastising Mr. Flores now because it's not the first time he's kind of done stuff like this? No, but you know, you know, you know my sort of flexible morality on these things, and I think it's all it's all part of the game. No question, Carroll should appeal. That it wasn't a red card. It, it, this, to send him off for that is ridiculous. It was, fully enough. I suspect it did probably quite, it probably did hurt Chito Flores in the sense that he did catch him in the face, although on the forehead, not the part of the face he was grabbing. But did he the, catch it? It looked to me like he caught I, the top of the knot of his of his ponytail. I it looked well. I could be wrong. I stand I'm prepared to be wrong. It looked to me like his 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 arm did catch his face, but there was no intent whatsoever, and it didn't hurt that much. 
Yes, Tito Flores has got form for this sort of thing, so he probably should be chastised. He also jumped on, Roy Car- on, on Andy Carroll's face as well, which is what precipitated this whole thing. Do you thing. think that's a cultural thing in Spain? If you, if you saw Cristiano Ronaldo last night when he got sent off, the sort of the play acting that goes on it is always yeah. seen as good practice in well, Spain. Well, I, I I think it's good practice. I think if I think you, you think see it is? Pro- well, I I I don't have any more problem with that than with the fact that I was at the Hawthorns yesterday and saw loads of p- players appeal for throw-ins they knew that came off them. That ir- irritates me as much as any other form of cheating. I don't know if it's just foreigners that do it. I think English players are just as bad. To His be heroes, Franny Lee, remember. Uh, Gab, one for you. Apparently, you wrote about financial fair play today, but it was removed from the newspaper because it was, it was so rude. Uh, is there anything we should know since we can't read it in the paper or online? Well, I'll let you in on this since you can't read the short, the, the column I wrote. Uh, no, it's basically um, April is when financial fair play were really coming to focus. And um, I think there were, there were two important noteworthy developments, although not no, noteworthy enough to get in the paper, evidently. Um, <laughs> One was that um, rather than having – so they have an investigative panel and they have a panel that adjudicates. Now the investigative panel will be able to cut a deal with a football club rather than um, basically going through the whole judiciary process. It's a little bit like when, uh, when, when Stuart's speeding and the traffic officer says, hey, you want to pay an on-the-spot uh, fine, Stuart, or do you want to come see me in court? Um, the problem is, though, is that other clubs can then appeal against that settlement, which creates a whole – new dynamic. Uh, the other uh, interesting point is that uh, they changed the wording for one of the punishments, which basically effectively turns it into a salary cap. Let's say you're 10 million pounds over the um, your financial fair play break-even requirement. From your Champions League match day squad, you can't nominate players who make a combined 10 million pounds. But I think that creates a whole other dynamic. And the fact that they went through the trouble of putting this in there um, at the last executive committee meeting suggests to me that this is the way they're going to go for for their punishment. All right, boy, wasn't that interesting, talking financial fair play. My thanks to James Scowcroft, Stuart Robson, and, of course, Rory K. Smith. A quick reminder that we're going to be back on the road this week. See you in Manchester on the 6th of February at the Football Museum. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, visit www.ctickets.com slash the times, or you can also call 0871-620-4025. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.